Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This week is a very special episode because myself and my best friend, Adam Thomas, Dr. Adam Thomas, we are in New York uh, for a few days. We're away for Adam's birthday, which is in a week or so's time. So happy birthday to Adam for them. Uh, and we're also here to pay respects uh, at 9-11. Um, and so I really wanted to make this uh, podcast to reflect on life for you, for us, We've known each other for a very long time and we are going to reflect on some of the things that have happened in our life and part three, particularly thinking about uh, some of the things with my health that I've been focusing on the last few years. But part two, I really want to dive into what it's like to be uh, a new uh, father. So, of course, yourself and your uh, lovely wife and my good friend, uh, Emma Thomas, uh, have a beautiful girl who's just over a year old called Cara uh, Thomas. We've actually seen uh, lovely little updates. That's the beauty of modern technology. Now you can have video and FaceTime calls and she's only, what, is it nearly uh, 13 months or around 13 months old? Nearly, and, yeah. And she, uh, and she, she says, Mama, Dada, blows kisses, gives a kiss on the FaceTime. What is it like being a father? Uh, the best. <laughs> the best thing you in the world. You love it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I certainly won't be listening to this back because I'm one of those people who can't um, listen to my, <laughs> to my own voice on a recording, but maybe Cara will listen to this one day. And yeah, it's um, by far the most special thing that's ever happened in my life. And uh, everything else pales into insignificance, really, beforehand. I think it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Uh, obviously, uh, a big journey, lots of learning. I'm still relatively new to it. I'm sure many of you listening have had more children than me and have been doing this for a much longer time and could probably offer lots of advice but I think I we've come out the end of being total novices at the start and with the help of family and friends we've kind of found a little bit of a rhythm now Cara is just about sleeping a little bit more Cara if you're listening you weren't the best sleeper <laughs> for the first year of your life your she wasn't the worst your mother's though, very tired <laughs> yeah not as bad as Alex from what Jane <laughs> has told what that, yeah. Alex's mum Jane has told yeah, me in the past yeah yeah, yeah. But not a bad sleeper, was we'll Not a bad sleeper. She's a could wonderful, be, she's a wonderful worse, baby, to be fair, isn't she, on the whole. And, uh, you know, it does, as you say that, you know, it's the most amazing thing in life. You know, you're, you're reflecting on how it's the most special thing that's happened to you. It, it's an it's a interesting paradox, a complete opposite end of the spectrum to, of course, what, you know, what has happened here in, in New York with the, the Twin Towers. It's the, the most awful thing in life. And then, you know, this is one of the most wonderful things in life you know, the birth of a child, a new person, you know, the, your, your, your bloodline, your, 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 your offspring, isn't it? It's just the most uh, amazing part of life. And I guess amongst all the awfulness, it is important to enjoy and to really hold on to those uh, moments. But I would like to rewind the clock back to, um, you know, a couple of days before Cara was born, because I actually came down from London, didn't I? Because you phoned me and said, oh, you know, we, we think 
we think she's due. Um, I think Emma texted her. I think Emma texted Did she say? You. I can't remember who, who did a Something along the lines memory. of it. It's happening. Yeah, <laughs> it's, hap it's happening. Um, baby's on the way or, or whatever. Because she was being induced, I believe, wasn't it? I, I'm trying to remember exactly the proceedings and things. But basically, she's going to get induced. So I came back. And anyway, I stayed in the house with you. And it was still in that slightly tricky time, wasn't it? With the COVID stuff where you couldn't have... You couldn't have everyone in the hospital. It wasn't so easy to go in, was it? You could go and visit, uh, but visit her outside, wasn't it? And then, then basically only during labour were you actually allowed to go in to the hospital, which yeah, is really I mean, tricky, Carl isn't it? was born at uh, Singleton Hospital in Swansea and all the staff there were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But uh, em, uh, Cara's birth, sorry, wasn't perhaps the most straightforward for us. Uh, it's Emma's story to tell, but just to touch upon it from my perspective what happened um emma wasn't really feeling much movement with cara uh, towards the end of the pregnancy in the days leading up to us eventually going into hospital and uh, a decision was made there weren't any imminent panics or any uh, uh, what word emergency was emergency kind of like yeah imminent from, emergency, from the team that were looking after concern, emma. yeah it? there was a concern and there was a decision made for Emma to be induced and I think that's where although you are not a, an obstetrician you're clearly someone who has been exposed to this far more than me in your career so it was really valuable to have you as a point of call and for someone to ask advice upon so yeah when Emma got induced we spoke to you and I think you hurtled it down the M4 yeah. at 70 miles an yeah, hour precisely, all the way yeah precisely yeah 70 yeah. as a very absolutely. responsible driver that you yeah, are absolutely I genuinely did <laughs> safely cruise control is a wonderful thing <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> one of life's greatest, greatest inventions, along with a hairdryer, of course. Yeah, and then uh, so Emma was in over the weekend, uh, and eventually Cara was born at 7.30, mm. uh, I believe, on the dot, near enough, on the Monday morning. Yeah. And she was born by caesarean section, wasn't yes, she? Yes, yeah. Absolutely, and, and thankfully to you know, a, well, a, a beautiful and healthy uh, a baby girl. But it was, a, I remember, even at the time, it was stressful. I mean, as a friend, and I'm not at all uh, comparing the stress that you two felt, but uh, even as a friend, it is stressful um, watching this all happen. And there's a distinct feeling of lack of control, isn't there? Um, and I find it very odd as well, because I did a SHO job, so a senior house officer job in uh, Obzingaini. And then you're part of the medical team and part of the medical side of it. And like, you're, you're kind of, you're more in control because you're kind of taking action and making decisions. You know what I mean? When you're when you're the father or the family or you know the mother, I guess you, you kind of you feel slightly a passenger, isn't it? It's almost a, as a a medic or any other the allied health professionals involved in a, the miracle of birth. I guess you're looking at it from a scientific, analytical, professional point of view. And when you're on the other side of it, it's very much an emotional yeah. point of view. Um, I've experienced that working in the hospital, as you mentioned. I'm a dentist but I have been exposed to of the more surgical yeah. aspects of my job and I often get asked by family and friends you know how, how did you feel being seeing what you saw or getting involved in what you're doing and it's it's hard to explain until you're in a position where you are exposed to that and that is your job it's you really just go into a different way of thinking and you don't you don't analyze it in the same way as when you're a patient or as as you would when one of your loved ones is on the receiving end of the care. And, you know, I remember um, at the time we were talking about this, that if, um, if Emma did need a caesarean section, uh, you know, would you go into the theatre? Because, of course, you, you, despite being a dentist, you do get a bit 
uh, faint on the old uh, odd occasion. Uh, so there's a slight fear of fainting, and Emma was kind of like, "You're not coming in if you're going to faint." It wasn't so, so much you... the fainting. There's a there's a Peter I'm Kay joke which out, I but... which I will not repeat. Yeah. But anyone who has listened to Peter Kay jokes, you might know the joke I'm referring to. Yeah. And so I mean, you know, for you at that time, you know, it's scary, but you have a real duty there, don't you, as a father as well, you know, and uh, as a husband, as a partner. Um, to kind of be there and support. And you went into the C-section, you didn't do the C-section, <laughs> you went into the C-section. Uh, were you offered to cut the cord? I was. And what did you say? I did not. You declined? Uh, yeah, I declined. Politely PD, declined. PD, politely declined, PD, declined, declined the thing. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. I tell you what, I, when I was doing the obs and gynae job, um, I did see quite a few uh, people, to be honest, uh, men, uh, fathers, um, who went and said, yes, I will cut the cord, and then subsequently fainted, either <laughs> short, prior, uh, during, or shortly after cutting the cord. Um, so my bit of advice would be, unless you have a particularly strong inclination and you can feel as confident as you can be that, that you won't feel faint, I would, I, I, it's not necessarily something that is needed, because when you get up to cut the cord, you perhaps see more than you expected and, uh, and fainted. And I remember actually, as a med student, um, my duty was to help kind of uh, should we say slide out the fathers from, from the fall? <laughs> Escort, <laughs> well, the, father, Escort yeah. the father out that, uh, that fell over, so, well, fainted. So it can be quite an overwhelming experience. And obviously, in fairness, at that time, you're full of adrenaline. You're probably haven't been eating and consuming food. You know, you're nervous and you're worried. And then something like that happens and oh, one quite, can become overcome. Quite a funny story. Um, as you mentioned, it was a uh, COVID, uh, still uh, COVID precautions in the hospital where Cara was born. So there was only one person allowed in at the time and we were lucky enough that for part of the time Emma was in hospital her mum was with her and then I came in for the uh, final part of the weekend. And then I took lots of treats in, lots of sweets, lots of chocolates that I'm pretty sure I had about 90% of because Emma had to be nil by mouth, but <laughs> eventually having a C-section, so I wasn't in the best books at the time. But someone the, had to uh, eat them. Someone had to eat them, we couldn't go to waste, but I, I can remember one of the very lovely um, midwives after Cara was born, uh, when we were in the operating theatre, saying to Emma, just keep going and know that you're going to have the best toast you've ever had in your life <laughs> in the recovery room, and I, I think it really did give Emma uh, a little boost where she was going to enjoy this toast. And did she enjoy uh, the toast? Not quite. We went into the recovery room <laughs> and Emma <laughs> ordered some toast and we were swiftly informed that the toaster was broken. <laughs> <laughs> so she, I think she had some Weetabix so and maybe a sprinkling soggy, of the soggy dairy milk that I hadn't yet eaten. So, oh, yeah. well, God, poor Emma. She was an absolute soldier throughout that whole process. So baby Cara was born, and I remember, because um, I said I couldn't go in to see her, and to be honest, my, my job there was to support you and uh, the fat wider family. That was my kind of why I was there. I'd love to have seen Cara, but of course I didn't see her on that uh, occasion, did I? When she was born, I had to kind of go back to London, and yeah. Emma needed to stay in, and it was decided it was better for me to go. So my job was you know, really there to, to support and, and so on. But anyway, I went home and then you guys were faced a few days later with coming home with this newborn baby. And I remember calling you and saying, how's it going? And you said, well, it's all right. But the midwife came round and I was like, how do I change the nappy and where's the manual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where's the sure, manual yeah. for this thing? Yeah. What is it like being a, a new father? Because it, it, to me, I just found it baffling and odd, even though you are someone I think is very paternal, an amazing father as Emma is an amazing mother. I mean, 
doesn't, there's no manual. I know it sounds silly because you can read all the baby books in the world, but it, it feels like until you actually have a baby, you go, what the hell is going on here? I think everyone can relate to being in a situation where you've read something, you've, you've done the, <laughs> the, the note-taking, the revision and everything, but it's very different when it's a real-world situation. And uh, Emma very diligently did a lot of... The, I think Emma did hypnobirthing, and uh, I was on some of those classes with her, so we did have an idea of what was going to happen, but I'm, I'm not going to pretend that you're in any way an expert. And I think my kind of presumption uh, after having a baby was you'd have everything explained to you step by step and like you said where's the manual and I remember really feeling that panic of I don't really know what I'm doing here I'm afraid to almost touch Cara she's so fragile she's so precious and I can remember the midwife saying to me would you like to dress her this was in the recovery room and me almost pleading with her to do it and to show me to, uh, how to do it the first time because I was genuinely afraid of touching her because she's so perfect at that time and looks so vulnerable. And we, as a family, Emma and I, obviously we were then um, discharged from hospital and went home and we are very, very lucky to have both of us uh, on, on my side, my mum and Emma having her mum and dad around to help and I know there's many people who aren't that lucky to have that whether that's because their parents uh, aren't with us uh, or whether they're living further away but either way I mean for us it was more of a seamless transition because we had that help and I think the I, I can't overestimate enough how valuable that was so I think for anyone listening perhaps who have children who are going to have children anyone who's about to become grandparents uh, just for anyone, everyone to know how, how important we found that and how valuable it was. And I think sometimes we forget when you can do something, you assume that everyone can do, everyone can do that and everyone understands it the same way you do. And it, having things explained to you, what's the saying? Explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. Yeah. A lot of the tasks, like doing a nappy, just explain it to me in the simplest way you can because until you've been shown it, you just don't understand it. Well, it's even things like feeding the baby. I mean, how did you find it? Like, how... Because a lot of people say, well, how often do you feed the baby? I mean, so what anyone thinking now, especially thinking about fathers, as well as mums as well, you know, what's the kind of basics? You come home with the baby, you've got some nappies, right? Uh, Emma um, was decided to breastfeed and she, she, she breastfed. Like, what, what happens next? What are the things that, the kind of main things that a new dad or mum needs to know about having a baby home from hospital? Well, I, I do remember being in, in hospital and, um, the volume of milk that Cara had, we're talking almost a, a thimbleful, a real, real small amount. And after that, went into the most peaceful sleep for ages. And I can remember thinking, oh gosh, oh, this is really easy. Yeah, if this is all it <laughs> is, I can't. <laughs> I've, got it's a good sus, life. I've got it sussed already. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm in no way an expert. I don't want to speak for Emma. Emma's been absolutely unbelievable with Cara. But yeah, it's. I think at that age... Adam when knows Emma will be listening. Emma will be listening, <laughs> so I'm treading to every, very every carefully. Word. But yes, Emma, <laughs> no, but she is what Emma, Emma literally is. Like, she could win mum yeah. of the year. What I, what I will say is Emma, Emma is the kind of person who will research everything and she's very determined. She's a dentist she's as well. Confident. She's scientific yeah. as well. Yeah, but she, was, she, she looked into all this and... She was really on it, for want of a better word, when it comes to feeding. But I think it's important to know that not everyone will feel that way. And there's masses of resources out there and teams who are there to help people. I know Emma had the feeding team helpful when we were in hospital. The nurses that come around, the health visitors in the, the days and weeks afterwards always were there to offer advice. So we were quite lucky in that way. Um, again, 
very grateful for all the help we've received. We wouldn't have been able to do it without family and, and the uh, health professionals that helped us. So I wouldn't say I'm an expert on breastfeeding. I understand your question, but it's just to know that, that there are people there to help you. Because mm. of course the babies will basically, they cry when they want something, don't they? They don't need to pee, they need to poo, or they need to pee, well, pee, poo, they need to feed, or they need to burp, or they're tired, right? Yeah. Isn't that the most main things yeah. that wind, agitated? Wind, nappy, food, that's kind of the... And they cry. The, Basically, the when a baby's crying, yeah. they want something or something yeah. needs to, to, to happen. And so with feeding uh, and breastfeeding, Ember, of course, would, when baby cries or when the feeding is kind of due, feed them to their full. When they don't want any more, burp them and then you try and put them to sleep. It's pretty much the, the first point, isn't it? That's the starting pretty, point. Pretty of. much, uh, yeah. I mean, especially in the first few weeks and months, yeah. it's, uh, it's not quite as simple as feeding and putting them down. You do have to wind babies um so that's something you learn to do and because most dads uh, like to think they become an expert at wind and well it's baby. a nice yeah. a nice bit that the dad can get involved yeah. because one of the challenges i think of fatherhood and and, and i know mums actually talk about this part i've seen a lot of people talk about this in socials it's very important to include uh, the father obviously we're assuming this is a, a nuclear situation i'm talking to you in a nuclear situation uh, it might be two mums bringing up the, the, the baby or, or whatever but in in these situations you know the dad sometimes can feel left out especially when the mother's breastfeeding yep. right because the baby's relying on the mum for milk for for all of that and the burping is the bit i guess that you can really show what you're made of is that right yeah you can what's uh, the best technique for burping what have you found well, for cara it was uh, just holding it as upright as you can almost like stretching her out you don't want them hunched over you stretch them out and kind of let the body do its thing but following on from what you said about the dads uh, in a nuclear situation, the dads being involved, um, Emma expressed uh, for Cara, so she was feeding her breast milk, but from a bottle. Um, mm -hmm. And that was, for us, every situation is different. There is no right or wrong. But for us, that worked so well because I could, it wasn't just winding, I could feed Cara. Yeah. And it's, I found that really, really you special. You enjoyed that, didn't I you? Could, and I, could. I actually got to do it once yeah, or twice yeah, yeah, as well, which yeah. is, Obviously, I'm not, you know, but it's a, I can appreciate even from a distance how amazing that must be. But I found that such an enjoyable thing. It's a thing. connection. It's, it's a chance to connect. It's, and it's something that I, if we are lucky enough to have another child in the future, I would, I hope that we manage to do it the same way. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important to say about breastfeeding as well. Some people can't breastfeed so for many different reasons. Yeah. You might not be able to breastfeed. And so, you know, obviously we're talking from, from that perspective, but, and that's okay. You know, like the... I think society sometimes we go to extreme on things. We know that you know breast milk has is, is, is got loads of benefits uh, for the baby and so on. But for some that doesn't work, right? And I guess one of the challenges that people find with the breast feeding is baby attaching onto the nipple, the latch, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The latch, yeah. And that's what Cara struggled and with. And that's yeah. what Cara, of course, struggled with. Um, and that's part of the reason that the breast pump and the expressing and then bottle feeding through that really worked, isn't it? And I'd never heard of a... Uh, a breast pump actually before I did obs and gyne I was kind of like what, what, what is that so so for people listening who, who don't know or yeah dad's to be or whatever what what is the breast pump like how does it work and, and what do you do once you've expressed that milk you know we obviously still you say it's all in the fridge but what's the process in that sense I mean for, for Emma she started off with um, what I would call I don't know if this is the correct term uh, a static or a, a plug-in breast pump so it's uh, plugged into a main socket in the house, and um, obviously Emma then attaches the suction device. 
uh, as instructed by each machine to uh, express the milk and then that into sterile containers for obvious reasons and then that's stored in the fridge. Then Emma actually found that process quite isolating perhaps where she had to sit still uh, for that length of time. Um, if we were in public or around family members or friends where she perhaps didn't want to um, express in front of, she'd have to go up in the bedroom to do that. And what we then moved on to was, and I don't know if we can name brand names, so I won't fine. mention no, the brand name. I think, I think the brand name is called something like Evie. Uh, perhaps that's something yeah. we can check and confirm. But that was something that was really discreet. It was a pump that fitted uh, into Emma's bra, I guess, yeah. and Emma could go about her daily life. And that was really, really uh, liberating for and her. You said it, can I use a word that you said a few times? You said it was life-changing. Yeah. Having it, what, yeah, for sure. Especially the one where she didn't have to sit in a room or sit on her own. Emma is someone who is very busy. She wants to be doing things so she could get on with her life. She didn't feel like she had to sit for up to a couple of hours a day on her own in a room. She well, could, we could go out, we could socialise. Yeah. You would actually, the mothers, mothers often end up being so potentially isolated because they basically have to, breast, between breastfeeding, getting them, burping them and getting them off to sleep or, or whatever, you could end up basically spending your whole time, you know, in this constant repetitive cycle and feel quite isolated. Because of course, if she exp expressed and had bottles of milk, she could go out for a couple of hours without you, couldn't she? For example, if she wanted to have a break or she wanted to go out for a wander, yeah. it gave that kind of freedom. It's a it good example, freedom, isn't yeah. it? That yeah. technology, of the benefits of some of the advances in technology, isn't it? Yeah, I think I've just thought, I think it's called LV, excuse me. I think it's at EV. I think the pump's called LV. I'll tell you what, a bit of a funny story on a side <laughs> note that I remember one day I came home uh, to the flat in London and I was just doing my, going about my business, said hello to Rolo, came into the flat and there was a box and I, you know, I received parcels, as everyone else do. I opened the parcels, I was like, how dare you open this parcel? I was like, someone's had me on here. A breast pump had arrived and um, I was quite shocked and it took me about three days. I was saying to Abby, I was like, what's going on here? Abby was in my assistant. I was like, what's going on? Why, why is this company, is this company sending me breast pumps? We do get sent stuff, you know, as an influence or whatever you want to call it. We get sent these things. So someone sent me a breast pump. But then I was like, hang on, dropped a message. Emma, you're not missing a breast pump, are you? <laughs> I think I we were coming to stay with you. I said, oh yeah, I sent that to yeah. the flat. And then a few different occasions, they had such random things arriving. Like, Accessories. Nappies one time, I thought, I, I, by this point I'd caught on, and I, was, I really would be offended. I said, someone's sending me bloody nappies. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> but those things that arrived. It's really useful actually to cover some of this stuff, because a lot of, until you know stuff, you don't know, do you? I mean, one of the facts you told me um, at breakfast, talk about the honey stuff. It's amazing yeah, the fact yeah. that people just wouldn't know this. This is a, well, I don't know if you, anyone has heard about this fact around honey and, and young children, but share this, it's interesting. Um, yeah, so we were told essentially when it came to weaning, I guess, of uh, what Cara can eat, the health is to uh, Emma asking the question, uh, what are the obvious do's and don'ts? And essentially, texture permitting, you clearly don't want to give young children anything dangerous that they could choke on. But when it comes to soft foods, they can have within reason whatever you're having apart from honey. And I think we both said that you would assume, had you not been given that information, yeah. that is almost a natural sweetener that I, if I was preparing the car of food without that information, I probably would have put yeah. a teaspoon of honey in something. And I believe the reason you shouldn't give it to children under one years of age, uh, just to clarify that point, it's up until they're one, is because of botulism. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something to do with the way the, the honey is created, obviously, by bees and harvested. Yeah, yeah and the immune system isn't, isn't prepared by that point. It, oh, I just absolutely got savaged by a horsefly. I've been completely done in the center of New York. 
by a horsefly. Can you believe that? I thought it was a bee. An getting American horsefly is absolutely yeah. yeah. The bee just stood me in. How oh, dare you? I've been. They said I'm discrediting. I got stung by a horsefly. Yeah, they get, the guys are going to keep that in the edit for sure. <laughs> um, and that's a great fact. And it, there's so many things that until you're a parent you don't know, do you? For, like for example, you know, antenatal or postnatal. So antenatal care means stuff that happens before the baby's born. Postnatal is afterwards. And some of the things that happen. You keep mentioning health visitors. Do you want to describe what a health visitor is? And like, how do these people decide to come to your house? You have a baby and all of a sudden these people arrive. What's yeah. the process of it all happening? Um, and do you still have a health visitor? That visits? Not as much. We do still have a health visitor, but it's much less regularly. I cannot remember the intervals yeah. now, I'm sorry. But in the first few weeks, uh, obviously you're assessed more regularly uh, where the health visitor will come to the house, make sure everything in the house is safe, uh, safe okay. uh, amenable for, for bringing up a baby. This is not to do with how nice your house is, might I add. This is not anything to do with luxury. It's just to do with the necessities. Yeah. The safety of Safety, of course. Safety, it's, it's being course, paramount. Uh, safety being paramount. And then they're just doing things like uh, measuring the baby, checking for... Uh, the expected milestones, doing screening for syndromes and conditions that are picked up in the first few weeks of life. And they really are, uh, at least in our uh, story and, and with, our, with our baby Cara, they are your port of call, really, from the a medical point of view, where they are your, the people you go through to get advice. You, they can refer you on to the feeding team. They can refer mums for physio, perhaps, if they need it. They can often advise on mother and baby classes and, and social groups, that kind of thing. And I know that's something, while I'm mentioning it, that Emma found priceless, really, was Baby sensory class, a favourite time of the week classes. on a Friday yes, morning, certainly, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I don't think necessarily that it is baby sensory. It's just that social element, course, yeah. meeting other mums. We live down in South Wales, where Emma is not originally from, so uh, it's not lost on me that it was probably quite daunting for her bringing up a baby uh, in somewhere that is not her home, if that's the right way of putting it, um, away from all her close childhood sure. friends. So. For her to make a network, and I know she's made a network that she loves. She's got, you know, a number of friends that she's made through these baby sensory classes. And we were talking about that isolation element, being able to get out of the house and do something as simple as have a coffee with other mums, chatting about how you're finding it, chatting through your difficulties, getting advice. Uh, all these mums are learning together. I know there are groups with where dads are invited. I've not done any of them so I can't comment on my own experience with those groups but I know they are available. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Any tips, um, particularly around sleep? Uh, and I know every baby's different. I mean, mum always says I was a terrible sleeper. I had colic. Actually, do you know something very interesting? One strong prognosis, something that I was told by a psychiatrist a few weeks ago, one very strong prognostic factor can be, can be, not always, but it's more something you think about in retrospect than, than perspective. But poor sleep and, and, and a baby that won't settle and won't sleep can be quite a sign, if you like, um, or at least in, in compilation of symptoms uh, of ADHD. Like so when you look back on well, but like, like, there's like little signaling things that like, or little tips that maybe something, oh, what other word is, I don't know, little signs perhaps that, that could be there. And Indicators. Poor sleep. Yeah. poor sleep is one of them. They thought maybe I had colic, but mum said nothing worked for it. I just didn't sleep for two years, basically. But yeah, do you have any tips? I mean, Cara, a lot of the time is good, but of course she doesn't sleep as well, like any baby does. I mean, we went away to the Cotswolds for a weekend and she was carnage <laughs> with the sleep. It was fine for me. I slept like a log in the room. I felt awful, no really. Pun you guys slept like a baby. Yeah, 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 I slept like a baby. Say Cara's going through a bad patch. Have you got any tips? A, for stuff like how to get them to sleep, but also how to manage your own sleep deprivation in that time. Like, do you share it with the other people? Like, how do you sort that out, really? You've got to work. You yeah, to work. I think it's just something you have to get through. Um, I'm not saying this because I know Em will be listening, but <laughs> with me going back to, to work after two weeks, for obvious reasons, there, there were times where, or the majority of the time, if I'm being honest uh, with myself, really, that, that Emma was the one getting up in the middle of the night. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't wake up. There's a baby crying in the house and we use a baby monitor. So, of course, I woke up. I wasn't having a, a normal sleep. But Emma's by far taken uh, the brunt of the burden when it comes to not uh, having a normal sleep. And <laughs> Emma's normally a really good sleeper. I think in terms of advice, like you said, the, the very basics of it are that you just have to rule out the obvious things. Um, does the nappy need changing? Are they hungry? Do they need to be winded? And I think in the early days, invariably it tended to be wind. Uh, if, Is it wind? If, yeah, like. that was more from more from the car or, or feeding. It was rarely a nappy that was waking She goes meek, meek now, doesn't now, she? Yeah, she's she's starting, she goes meek, meek. She's in the starting to speak now. Um, so da, da, it's, it's very meek. hard. It's much harder <laughs> when she's asking for milk to leave her crying. But when it comes to advice, back to the question, it's all about routine. And we are examples of largely coming from Emma's uh, diligence and being a perfectionist, <laughs> doing a routine from the start and really doing everything to the book, or at least the book as we understand it, where it comes to having a consistent bedtime, bath, reading a story. Uh, we've done that every single night of Cara's life and that hasn't meant that she slept well every single night. So I think a lot of parents maybe beat themselves up and say, oh, I'm trying everything and it's, it's not working how it should do. There is no right or wrong here. Every child is different. We have a nephew, Frank, who I genuinely think probably sleeps for about 14 hours a night and has done from about three months of age and does a very similar routine to us. So it Different is, to an extent, yeah. out of your hand and you mustn't beat yourself up. Obviously, try and do the basics, but it doesn't mean it's always going to work. Important thing to say, actually, as well, um, that you know, when, when, when a baby's born, as the brain develops, it, it basically develops its sleep cycle. And sleep cycles are very, very short in young babies. It can be 45 minutes long that they are cycling their sleep. And they often, often when babies do the sleep cycle, we stay asleep but they often will wake up in their lighter part of sleep. And then when they wake up, they might cry and so on. So it's quite common that they have that kind of cyclical short sleep patterns. And as they grow up and the brain develops, the sleep cycle lengthens, but also when they enter the shallow part of sleep, they're more likely to remain asleep like we do as adults. So part of it is just understanding that's kind of a little bit part of the process, isn't it? 
It's been amazing uh, to listen to uh, your tips and advice. Hopefully it's very useful to people and relatable. Like sometimes just asking someone, like, what is it like having a child? You know, Cara's one years old. She's just starting. We saw the first video of her kind of trying to walk at home. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's doing fantastic, obviously, but, you know, making the baby steps, if you like, in yeah. life. But it's really useful to ask those questions. A really good bit of news we're really, really pleased about. You know, the most important thing after the health and well-being of baby mother and father and everything, of course, is that Cara is a United fan. Um, <laughs> on her first birthday, I got her a Man United shirt through with Cara on the back. all her own choice, wasn't through it? Through all of yeah. her own choice. It's very important that she chose her team. <laughs> I hope as she grows up, she will stick with United. I'm sure she will be very, very loyal. Uh, thank you so much. I think that's been very useful indeed. Uh, we are here in New York. The sun's shining. You hear a siren going past in the background. We're now going to move on to part three of the Stompcast, the final part of the Stompcast. So thank you to everyone that's joined us and we'll see you in part three to talk a little bit about our friendship, some of the things we've learned, some of the life lessons and reflecting a little bit on, you know, some of the stuff. Trying to be my friend through everything, um, which isn't always, uh, always that easy. See you soon in part three and goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.